0: When I was uh, in college a number of years ago, I had the opportunity to go caving with a group of buddies. And uh, I don't know if any of you have been caving before. It was quite an experience. I'll be honest with you going into it. uh, Well, actually, looking back now, I can't believe that I decided to do that. I mean, we're 18, 19, 20 years old. We have no experts, nobody officially trained. We borrowed a bunch of gear and we went in a deep hole. Really bad idea, but when you're under 25, you don't think about those kind of things. Uh, Anyways, I think what I had in my mind at that time, it would be a picture on the screen here. Literally, this was my expectation. We're going to go into this Petty John Cave in northwest Georgia. We're going to go underground, and all of a sudden, we're going to see this amazing uh, National Geographic-esque picture, and uh, that was my expectation of this trip, and I was super pumped, to be honest with you, but then there was a collision that took place, And that collision was between what I expected to happen, what I expected to be true, and reality. And this was the reality I faced, actually. Uh, That is the hole that we crawled through to go into Petty John Cave on (laughs) your left, my right. Uh, Yes, it was big enough for all of us to get through. And when we entered that hole, all there was was darkness and mud. That's it. Like, it was, that was the extent of my experience was darkness and mud until we hit Pancake Alley, which is what you can see on your right there, and uh, it is as miserable as it looked. I don't know how many of y'all right now are kind of getting, starting to sweat thinking about what it would be like to be stuck in Pancake Alley, but we went through it. We shimmy through it. I have no idea where we went. All I know is we came out really muddy, really exhausted, and I swore I would never do that again, and I've never been caving since. Um... <laughs> But the, the point is this, that that's just a microcosm, kind of a funny microcosm of really what life is. Life is filled with expectation. When you enter this world and you're born into this world, you grow up with expectation. You have expectations about all things around you. But deep down, we have expectations of what we, ex- what we want out of life and what we think life will deliver for us. And what really life becomes then and every year and every year after is a collision, a collision with reality. And oftentimes what we want doesn't win in the end. And, uh, and this is really, if you, you, you could summarize the book of Ecclesiastes, which we have entered into a sermon series on as this, the teacher in Ecclesiastes articulating the reality that we have expectations in life and what it looks like with collides with life. That's what we get, and even more specifically in our passage today. And so I want to talk for a moment, before we dive into where we're going specifically today, kind of what we established last week in our kickoff. So we we talked about Ecclesiastes being a wisdom literature that ultimately aims to help you and I understand and interpret life around us, to know what's worthwhile to center our life upon. It's not the only type of wisdom literature in the Bible. You've got Proverbs, which we just did a seminar series on, uh, or a sermon series on, and it articulated kind of how God designed the world and principles, if you order your life around them, will make sense. And and that's a really practical type of wisdom literature. Well, Ecclesiastes is a different type of wisdom literature. It's a wisdom literature that is a lot more realistic in nature, that as you go down this pathway of life, things don't work out the way you always think they're going to work out. How do you understand that? How do you interpret that? How do you still revolve your life around what's worthwhile in the world? That's what Ecclesiastes seeks to do. And so we also establish that this teacher and the whole book is around this idea of a quest. And our passage summarizes this this morning. We'll, we'll look at a couple verses before we go specifically where we're going today. Um, you can look at verse three here. What does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? This is his quest. And in 13 and 14, illustrates this quest a little bit more. I applied my mind to examine and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. God has given this miserable task to keep them occupied. I have seen all things that are done under the sun. So the teacher here has set out on this quest to figure out what is worthwhile to live for in this world. He wants to find out what's real gain. And we we established last week that that's essentially, at the end of your life, if you're going to cash your chips in, what do you have that's permanent and lasting and good? That's what gain is. That's what he's after, real lasting value. And why would he be after that? This is where the wisdom literature comes in, so he can revolve his life around it. That makes sense. And here's the interesting thing. There's going to be one condition that he has in this quest, and the condition is this. It's going to factor out God. That's what the phrase under the sun means is that he is going to set out on this quest, and it's not going to be some theoretical, philosophical quest where in his mind he just works through everything and factors out not God. No, he's going to go out and pursue all that there is to have in this world, and he's going to do it with his best to factor out God, to take him out of the equation. And Ecclesiastes is his, essentially, notes on this journey. And, And for us, we established last week, that this quest and the record of this quest is a gracious gift for us from our shepherd okay, and help us wrestle with the questions we need to wrestle with to understand what's really worthwhile in this world. And so this week, we're going to look at the conclusion of this quest. So last week was the quest. This week with the conclusion of the quest. Next week, the hope that he uh, arrives at in the end. And then that's kind of our framework for how we're going to move forward in Ecclesiastes. And after that, we're going to work through the futility of the world And then turn back to the hope that we have. And so our big picture summary, what I'm hoping we'd gain from our time this morning, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would help us with, you'll see it on the screen, is that in our broken world, life collides with empty pursuits and harsh realities, leaving us shackled in futility. And I'm going to say the word collision a lot in our time together. And I, and I want you to have this image in your mind here that these empty pursuits and the harsh realities are things that we collide with and we don't win in the end. That's the picture of life under the sun factoring out God. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you, um, we're going to stare at some truths that Ecclesiastes puts before us. And, uh, and these are difficult truths to process. They're things that we don't want to see. And we don't want to come to grips with. God, but you've given us your word and you confront us with these realities for a purpose and a reason. And what I ask, God, is that you would give us a greater sense of the futility that the teacher in Ecclesiastes is talking about, but that that would well up in us, this desire, this longing to see that you're on your throne and that you're a father who works deeply in our lives, just like we sang. And so we thank you for this time, and we pray that you, which you, you would do what we have no power to do, which is to make your word come alive for us this morning. Teach us, meet us where we are. It's your name we pray, amen. So we're going to talk first about life under the sun is futile, what the teacher means by that. And we see in verses 14, he said, I have seen all things that are done under the sun and have found everything to be futile, a chasing or a pursuit of the wind. And so when you seek to define futility, kind of a, it's not a word that I'm honestly outside of Ecclesiastes that I don't think I've ever used. I don't know if you guys use this word in your everyday life. I don't think this is part of kind of our American way of speaking, but, and so we got to go back to the Hebrew. What does it mean to the writers who wrote this? And it says, it's a wisp of vapor, a puff of wind or smoke, a mere breath, nothing you can really set your hands on. So some translations will use the word meaningless. But that gives the sense to us, when we use the word meaningless, that it doesn't matter. And that's not what the writer is trying to get across here. That's not the case. There is real substance to these things, but no permanence. And what I want to do is I want to take just two images here, and I think these are going to be helpful for us to take to understand this as we move forward. And the first is a puff of smoke. And so on the screen, you'll see an image here of what happens when you blow out a candle. And so this is one of the best images, I think, out there on... The, the idea of what futility is, that when you blow a candle out, there is real substance there. Like you can see the, the wisp of vapor, the puff of smoke there. But the moment you try to grasp it, the moment you try to get a hold of it, it just seeps out of your hands. There's nothing ultimately to be grasped. There's something there, but nothing permanent. And what he's saying is that life under the sun, life when you factor out God, feels like this puff of smoke. We want some kind of lasting gain. We grasp for it. We seek to hold on to it, but it just evaporates from our grip. We just can't gain anything. And then you've got this image of chasing after the wind. If, I mean, honestly, you, you try to get a picture of chasing after the wind. You can't get a picture of that, right? Because like, that's the point. Wind exists. There's real substance to it, but you can't see it. You can only feel it. There's nothing really to grasp with wind. And so the idea, even just to put forth that word phrase, a pursuit of the wind or a chasing after the wind, it just brings this sense of why would you ever do it? There's it can be you can't grasp it, you can't catch up with it, you can never hope to obtain it. And that's, I mean, and or you can think about life on a treadmill, right? And so uh, I, some people like exercising on a treadmill. I'm not a big fan of it, partly is I can't run straight and I feel like I'm gonna fall off the edge at some point, but if, if you think about life being like a treadmill, or just even the idea of exercising on a treadmill, you're running, no matter what kind of screen you got in front of us that's showing you this beautiful landscape that you're supposed to pretend you're running through, when it's time to get off, you step next to a pile of dirty clothes and life goes on, right? So imagine this pursuit of the wind like life on a treadmill. No matter what you want to pretend is in front of you, it's just a treadmill, And you're going nowhere. And that's what the writer is trying to get us to see, that life under the sun, when you factor out God, is like this never-ending treadmill or chasing after the wind. You keep at it, but you never really get anywhere. It always feels to be the same thing. And so if you put those two together, those images, the teacher is saying that our lives and our pursuits have this sense of uh, transitoriness that we can't escape the things we pursue just never deliver or meet our expectations. And we encounter these difficult things that leave us with a sense of feeling like nothing matters. We we can often feel that way, that our existence is like this mere breath in a world that will far outlast us. And so you've got to ask the question at that point when you study the Bible, why would the teacher land on that? Why would he say that life, if you factor out God under the sun, is futile? Well, the whole book of Ecclesiastes unpacks that. And we're going to spend five, six weeks or so, I can't remember exactly, unpacking that. But I want to give us a taste now. I want to give us a taste where the teacher is going to take us, that there is going to be an unavoidable collision between our expectations of life, our desires for gain, and the realities of this world. And so we're going to highlight Kind of the two main reasons I think that the teacher concludes that everything is futile if you factor out God. And so we're going to put these in two categories. And again, we're going to go significantly deeper in each of these, but I want to give us a taste of where Ecclesiastes is telling us because we get a taste of it in our passage today. And so the first category is this, is there's a collision with the limits of what we pursue. So let's look at verse 15 again. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I want to narrow in here on this lacking that cannot be counted. So in this verse, the teacher gives us, he's really given us a summary of why life factoring out God is futile. It just doesn't ever seem to add up. I think that's a way to understand that phrase, that what is lacking cannot be counted. It's like trying, if you've ever sat down with a math problem or had a kid you're trying to help with a math problem, and, and you keep working the problem over and over again, and you're never getting the answer you're supposed to get, but it's because there's something inherently wrong with the equation that you're using. It's broken. And so no matter what you do, it's never going to add up. It's never going to add up. And last week we talked about this idea that we're floating down a lazy river of life, pursuing all the places that our culture tells us to seek gain, that the culture has outlined this pathway for us, and that we just kind of naturally are adrift. We're born in this world. We don't have to work at it. We're born just drifting down this lazy river, and so wherever the world tells us to find true and lasting fulfillment, we go there and find it. It's just natural for us. We don't have to work at it. And the teacher in Ecclesiastes is going to describe the effect of this lazy river again. It takes you nowhere, and you never get what you think you will. That's what the futility is after. And so I want to do the work, in a sense, to drift with the teacher down this lazy river to the places where our culture tells us we're going to find gain. Again, we're going to unpack these in future sermons, and specifically, you see this in chapters 1 through 3, full on. The teacher's going to be showing us there's different pursuits we can go after in the world, and that they're never really going to lead to the gain we long for. And so I want us to drift with them for a moment. And we're only going to just pick, take a couple of them. We're going to talk more about more than these, but I want to work down a couple of them. And the first one is this, is the pursuit of trying to find our gain in work. That we can really engage in our work, hoping that it's going to give us some sense of real gain. But when we go after work in that sense, if when we really try to seek to give us a sense of lasting permanence, there's going to be a collision that takes place. And I want us to just—I'm going to shoot around, throw some ideas out there, and I think they're going to resonate with most of us. But they give us a sense that there's no gain there. That you know, we can have so many desires and goals. But have you ever noticed? That you can outline and script out all, a new plan for a, whatever you want to seek after and work, but it just never seems to work out that way? That there always is a collision between your goals and reality. No matter how good you get that plan, it just there's a collision that takes place. And then there's another interesting thing. Let's say that you get to maybe accomplish most of those goals that you want. Have you ever noticed the collision that takes place after you accomplish those goals? they don't really deliver, do they? What really happens is you get this sense, it's built up, you get the sense of accomplishment, and then you turn around the next day and there's a hundred more of those. It just feels like this never-ending treadmill, And then there's just this sense of mundaneness of life. When I was in college ministry, what I I told students as they're about to graduate, I said, beware of finding the perfect job. Because every job is going to have a sense of mundane that you can't escape, and it's going to be mind-numbing to you, and you, don't know, you won't know what to do with it. And you're going to want to bounce from job to job, hoping you find the job that's going to deliver the real gain. But in the end, life has a, has a sense of mundaneness. Post-college, you just can't escape. You wake up. What do you do? You eat breakfast, you go to work, you come home, do the dishes, watch something, go to bed, wake up. Just repeat it over and over and over and over again and whatever new you think's coming it isn't going to deliver what you think it will it's the never-ending treadmill again I mean then you just ask a young parent a young mom or dad who's at home with their kids and many of them are going to tell you if they're honest that their life feels purposeless in this stage there's nothing like an unending stream of poopy diapers and crankiness after naps to give you a sense of mundane aimlessness and, it's, it, and we, enter, we, we engage that as something's wrong, but in reality, that's just a collision taking place between what our expectations are and the reality that there's no lasting gain in these pursuits. It's a never-ending treadmill. You think about wealth. In America, we easily look to wealth to be true gain for us. And the way it comes out is not many of us would outline that this is where we think is true and lasting gain. But the way it comes out is we think, if only I had this, or if only my bank account got to this, or if only my portfolio got to this, then there would be a sense of permanent security and comfort. But there's a collision that takes place. I mean, we can go observe the, the ultra wealthy among us and see that it's never enough. We can just look in our own lives and we get a raise and we Find quickly something to spend it on or use it on, right? And it's gone. You know, every one of us can attest, every one of us from the youngest in the room to the oldest can attest, if we were honest, several things this year already that we were intent on pursuing and purchasing and we're excited about it and we bring it home and the shininess wears away or it breaks and it doesn't deliver. I and mean, it's just it's the constant, never ending treadmill. We look at wealth, we go after it, and it, if there's anything in life that's a, that's a puff of smoke, it's that. We grab it. I mean, I was just, this is just humorous and stupid. I was just in my office this morning. I, like, I collect some jerseys from around the world. And I can remember being in different countries and wanting to find this certain jersey and I bring it home and it's sitting in my office and I never even look at it again. But that's just a foolish little taste of what we do in the bigger picture of life all the time. A puff of smoke, we seek to grab it, and there's nothing there. You think about wisdom, maybe this is it. That's why we got this book of the Bible, to give us wisdom, right? Well, the teacher's going to show us the same thing about wisdom, that there's this old saying. Many of you heard, the more you know, the more you learn, the less you know. And it really is true. And what's interesting about wisdom is that you can go after it, And the most frustrating thing about wisdom is you could have all the wisdom in the world, but you can't control your circumstances. You can't change your heart. Put all the wisdom in the world in one room and you can't cure cancer. Put all the wisdom in the world and it can do nothing to help you forgive those who've hurt you. It's a never-ending treadmill. If we look to wisdom to be the lasting gain, it's just a puff of smoke. We can't hold on to it. It doesn't deliver. And when I was even writing this, I was thinking to myself, Kevin, are you being overly bleak here deliberately? And I would say no. That this is is the teacher in Ecclesiastes saying, put your feet down in the lazy river. Just think for a moment. Look back where it's taken you and look ahead where it's going. It's not going to deliver the gain that you hope for. That's what we get here. And the teacher's not saying that these things don't matter. He's saying that if you set your heart on them and you don't factor in God, these things won't deliver what you want. They're futile. And why are they? Why are they unable to deliver true, true gain? And as I think about this, and I think about these pursuits, this jumps out at me, is that they're finite and we, when we're trying to quench a thirst for the infinite with them. They're finite, but our thirst is infinite. And so we've got these deep longing and desires for gain in this world, and they're infinite because they've been placed there by an infinite God. And so when we chase these pursuits to quench that thirst that we feel, it just ain't going to add up. Let's go back to our statement earlier. They collide with the reality, and they're finite and our longing for gain is infinite. I mean, just, just think of, just take this picture here. You go to the Atlantic Ocean with a bucket, and your task is to just take out all the water. A lifetime of dipping that bucket in and dropping it out, and the same waves are going to crash over you, and the same tide's going to come in each and every day. It just doesn't add up. The finite will never quench the infinite, never. And that's what the teacher in Ecclesiastes is wanting us to see here. Under the sun, these finite pursuits won't fulfill the infinite void in us, and the teacher wants to confront us with that reality. Matthew Henry says this. You'll see it up on your screen in his commentary on uh, verses 115. He says, All our enjoyments here, when we have done our utmost to bring them to perfection. So he's saying, when we've done everything we can to perfect these pursuits, they're still lame and defective, and it can't be helped. And so one of the futilities that the writer of Ecclesiastes wants to confront us with is that there's a collision with the empty pursuits of this world. But the other one is this, a collision with the harsh realities of this world. And back to 115 again, he says this, what is crooked cannot be straightened. So it's inescapable that you and I are going to encounter things in this life that just can't be fixed with efforts or even understood for that matter. If you go down I-75 between here and Atlanta, you're going to come across several of these kind of uh, guardrails and I wouldn't want to have been there when that happened. But that's the image i got in mind with this crooked that cannot be straightened. If you think you can just pull on the side of the road, and with all your strength and ingenuity are going to straighten that guardrail out, it's an exercise in futility. And what the teacher in Hebrew or Ecclesiastes is trying to do here is to get us to think about life that way, that there are crooked things that will not be straightened no matter your effort, and you can't understand how they even got that way that's the reality of life in this world. Romans 8 describes this collision as being a bondage to decay. That you and I can't escape a certain level of decay in this world. And so the teacher is going to walk us through these harsh realities, the bondage of decay, and he's going to use a language that's going to shock us. And so again, I want to highlight a couple types of these collisions that we're going to experience in harsh realities of this world. And again, we're actually going to have sermons on each of these things, but one of them is time and chance. In Ecclesiastes 9, we're going to see the collision of time and chance. And what Ecclesiastes means by this is that if you factor out God in this world, so much of this lives is beyond our control. So many of the things that, 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 that wreck humanity feel seemingly random. According to health data, 5,000 people in the United States that wake up tomorrow will be diagnosed with cancer, seemingly randomly collision of time and chance. 3,700 people. This blows my mind. 3,700 people will drive out from their home tomorrow, on their way to work or school, and they won't return. They'll die in a car accident. I mean, we, so much up to time and chance from our perspective on this earth. I mean, you think about the, the earthquake that happened in northern Syria and Turkey. Think about just one city, Adana, Turkey. All the dreams and longings of a child or a college student in that city—one of the worst hit. Whatever they had hoped life would give them, it's just buried under buildings now. They didn't choose to be born there. They didn't choose to be born there at a time and place. They didn't choose to live in a building where the where they didn't, the, the the building inspector didn't do his job. Nothing. We can't escape the shackles of time and chance. There's injustice and oppression. In Ecclesiastes 4, we're going to see the collision of injustice and oppression in this life, and what the teacher's wanting us to see is that we live in a fallen world where injustice seems to run free with no recourse. And and some of it is you can imagine when this was written that, oh yeah, I understand that then, but now with all the affluence, with all the wealth in our world, with all the knowledge, surely injustice shouldn't run free. Not in America, right? Right? Well, it's estimated that between 15,000 and 50,000 women and children this year will be forced into sexual slavery in the United States. And they can't even get their handle on the high or low side of that because of how hard it is to research. It's just this year in America with all the affluence and power. And then right now in the Democratic Republic of the condo, 40,000 kids are forced into the mines. mine for cobalt which is both toxic to breathe in and touch they're doing without safety equipment and they're forced to go there so that you and i can have phones that can recharge and cars that can go on batteries we're shackled you look around us we're shackled to this injustice and oppression in our world we can't escape it and then you have aging and death in Ecclesiastes 8 and so many other places in Ecclesiastes, the teacher is going to confront us with this ultimate collision of aging and death. And what he's going to communicate to us is that death stalks every one of us. And it is the one harsh reality that renders all relationships and all pursuits in this world void. It is the biggest determiner of the futility of this world. And here's what... <laughs> No matter the advancements in medicine, no matter the amount of money we can throw on the table, there's not one human being on this earth that can beat back death. It's impossible. Aging will come to everyone. Death will visit us all. And the reality of even being in a church that's intergenerational is that we get to see this and lament this together. It's all around us. And these shackles of decay, and you take these harsh realities, these shackles of decay, they come and visit us and bind us irregardless if you follow Jesus or not. They're here. We're shackled to them. Regardless of what you believe this morning, you can't can't escape these realities. They're crooked things in the world that can't be straightened with our effort. And this is the major, I would say the major reason why The teacher in Ecclesiastes says that life under the sun without God is futile. So these are the collisions that you and I can't avoid. And no matter the expectations we have for life, this is the collision that takes place. So where do we go from here? I think some of us in this room, and definitely in the world, when we hear these collisions taking place, we understandably can go to kind of a dark place. And I would say that's partly where the teacher wants us to go. The road in Ecclesiastes is long and dark, and there's little glimmers of hope along the way, but the hope doesn't come till the end. And part of what the teacher wants us to do is sit in the futility of life under the sun, of life factoring out God. But he doesn't want us to go fully to despair. Some of us hear this and it's the opposite reaction. We want to just say, oh yeah, but life's about the journey. We just want to make the best of it. We don't want to think about these harsh realities. We don't want to think about the shackles of decay. Instead, we just quickly want to stamp that life is good and everything's going to be okay. And so we've got these two ditches that when we hear these collisions, we want to fall out on. One is this sense of cynicism or despair. And it's understandable. But another we want to fall out on is we want to stick our hand in the sand, and we want to pretend that life's not that way. And that's understandable too, but it's just not the way forward. It's not the option that the teacher and Ecclesiastes give us. And so I want to give you two things for us as Christians this morning as we leave. And before I give those, I want, I want to throw one caveat on here, is we're not spending much time on hope in this sermon today, and that's Deliberate. And it's deliberate because Ecclesiastes doesn't quickly get to the hope either. The teacher wants us to linger in the futility of life under the sun. And it's uncomfortable, and it doesn't make sense, and it doesn't add up, but he wants us to sit there. He wants us to sit there because when he arrives at the conclusion that God is on the throne and he reigns and he's good, that hope really, really matters. And so we're going to spend more time on hope next week, but I want to give you two thoughts As we ask, where do we go from here? And the first one is this, is that that I want us to embrace the freedom to lament as we hear about these collisions. Mike Cosper works for Christianity Today, used to be a music leader at Sojourn Church in Louisville. He says there's a difference between lament and despair, that underneath lament, there's a certain kind of hope. And that's not the case with despair. When I was uh, approaching my 40s, right at 39, going over into 40, I, I was spiraling in life in a lot of ways. Sure, whatever, midlife crisis, that wasn't the language that was helping me at the time. But what I didn't know what I was feeling was I was sensing the futility of the world. And what was happening was, is I was encountering a lot more of these harsh realities of life, both in my life and around me. There was collisions taking place that I just never experienced before. And I looked at, I looked at my life today and I looked at my life ahead and I came to the conclusion that I was only going to be more of those collisions with the harsh realities, not less. And it was deeply depressing. And then I looked around at what I had accomplished up to this point in my life, and I was pretty disappointed. Whatever, and, and really what was happening, I was, I was encountering for the first time that these pursuits in life really are empty. I wanted them to be gained for me, and they weren't delivering. And I didn't know what was going on internally at that point. But then I started reading Ecclesiastes. And God, through the teacher, opened my eyes to a whole new world of understanding. And he gave words to all the things that I was feeling. And what happened through Ecclesiastes, it has learned, in some ways, for the first time, that I had the freedom to lament. That God was giving me that through this book of the Bible. If you went to the man weekend a few weeks ago, this is what Bob Smart would say, I was learning to embrace the sorrow of the world around me. That's what was happening. And God, in confronting us with these harsh realities and the emptiness of these pursuits, He's helping us. He's giving us the freedom to say what's hard and validating the very things that we feel. And so we've got to resist the urge to try to have this nice and happy Christianity that thinks our best life can be now, and it tries to stamp that God is good on all the hard things in life so quickly that we don't even know what that means. Ecclesiastes is giving us a richer and deeper and more robust Christianity if we grapple with what it's saying about life under the sun. But I also want us to resist the urge to fall into despair or cynicism. And Ecclesiastes has given us the freedom to lament, which really is the key out of cynicism and despair. And so embrace that freedom this morning. And then finally, taste the relief. Taste the relief that Jesus has entered this broken and futile world to rescue us. So you and I, with this teacher, are on this quest for gain. And Jesus entered this world because of that quest. And he entered this world to connect us to what truly is gain. And when we discover it and we understand it, that life in him is the real gain, it actually makes all those other pursuits meaningful. And that as Christians, we can't escape the harsh realities of this life, but Jesus has entered this world, and he collides with every harsh reality that Ecclesiastes brings up, full-on collision with them, and he conquers them. And he conquers them, so that in the end, for you and I, those harsh realities won't have the last word. That what is crooked will one day be straightened by the one who conquered all of these harsh realities. And so, Grace Church, in our broken world, life collides with empty pursuits and harsh realities, and leaves us shackled to futility. But our response this morning is to lament and to look to the one who entered this world on our behalf. Let's pray. Father, if we could just sit together and tell stories this morning of each one of us, taste of this futility, we would groan. This place would be filled with tears. The amount of money, the amount of time that we've spent on empty pursuits that never deliver. The hurt and the pain those things have caused. But then if we just talk about injustices that we've seen and some of us have tasted. The encounters with time and chance just in this room are overwhelming, God. Things that have come upon our lives that we never invited and never wanted. And then the fact that we look around and we're experiencing the decay of aging in knowing that death is going to stalk all, every one of us. These collisions are overwhelming. And this is not what you designed the world to experience, but you entered this broken and futile world to reunite us to what is gained and to conquer these hard things. And so, Father, would you help us to taste this and to turn to you and cry out to you that you would make all things new. It's your name that we pray. Amen.